and so aksharam naksharadi that which is immutable imperishable free from the changes such as the birth and growth and old age disease death that is free from every change <coughs> aksharam or aksharam as you said ashnute iti aksharam so that which pervades everything also is called aksharam <coughs> that's another way to explain so that which pervades everything and we know very well what pervades as we said here in this part the clay pervades the part the what is clay clay is called the material cause the material from which this part is made thus everything for its making requires a material cause as well of course it requires a creator what we call an intelligent or efficient cause just as for creation of this part at least these two things are required one is the part maker whom we call the intelligent cause efficient cause because he must have the intelligence the efficiency the knowledge the skill to create and he of course requires material to form it into this part because material itself cannot form itself being inert and so it is intelligence that forms the matter or material into a certain form and that is how we have the final product which we call creation so this part as i said must have a part maker which is called who is called the intelligent cause and must have a substance such as clay in this case which is called the material cause the uh, characteristic of material cause is that it is where the effect is it pervades the effect therefore wherever the part is there the clay must be and so clay pervades the part when we say brahman also is aksharam ashnude the aksharam so that is pervades everything is called brahman what does it mean it means that brahma is the material cause so what is that substance from which everything in the universe is made for the substance from which this part is made is clay we can of course ask a further question what is the substance of which the clay is made someone say we say earth then we ask what is the substance of which earth is made if you follow the method or the model provided by vedanta or our scriptures then they look upon this creation as made up of the five elements beginning of space air fire water and earth in increasing grossness or earth water fire space i mean air and space in the order of increasing subtlety and so uh, it is not that there are five elements actually earth is born of water and water is born of fire and fire is born of air and air is born of space and ultimately therefore and space itself is again born of what we call primordial matter or energy or prakriti and again if we examine what is that made up of the ultimate substance from which everything is made will be discovered to be brahman if we just take this definition not that any experiments have been made it is this is simply by by just the process of thinking by the process of reasoning and process so itself we can arrive at this that the fundamental substance from which everything is made is brahman <coughs> Brahman is Asnute, it pervades everything. And this we see, what is one thing that pervades everything? And by everything we mean everything. Ishavasam idam sarvam yat kinch jagatyam jagat. Jagatyam yat kinch jagat. In this universe, whatever it is that, is that moves, whatever it is that is subject to change, whatever it is that is created, all of that Ishavasam that is pervaded by ishvara that is pervaded by brahman brahman is whatever that is it's not that brahman or god is only in good things whatever yet kinch whatever it is whether he is a, a saint or a sinner whether he is a friend or foe whether it is i or you whether it is inner or sentient whatever that is in this universe in each all of that is pervaded by by ishvara or brahman or god just as a part is pervaded by clay really speaking a part is not separate from clay at all it is clay we can say it is clay that manifests as part so it is a material cause that manifests as effect 
If God or Brahman is a material cause, what does it mean? It means that it is a God, it is God who manifests this universe. <coughs> but then you will ask this question, Swami, this is all like your example of clay and pot is okay. You know, you give these examples and then derive something. Uh, so this is what Vedantins do. They take the example of a pot and then draw very profound conclusions from that. And they will talk about the whole universe. So what is applicable to a pot is applicable to the whole universe. All right, but where is your God? It's okay with reference to a pot that I can see the clay and it's easy for me to understand that, yes, clay pervades the pot. But if you similarly claim that God or Brahman is the material cause of the universe, that means that we should be see him everywhere. Yet, whatever it is, even Ravana also, Hiranyakashipu also, Hitler also, Churchill also, Mahatma Gandhi, whoever it is, or Jesus Christ or whatever, if each one is pervaded, equally pervaded, it's not that again clay is a little more in, in bigger part and less in smaller part and whatever. Clay is equally present. Samoham Sarvabhuteshu Name Dveshyo Sinapriyaha. Lord Krishna says in ninth chapter that I'm equally present in everything. Name Dveshyo Sinapriyaha. I don't have any partiality at all, no preference and no dvesh or aversion for anything. If this is so, we should be able to see God everywhere. But do we see God everywhere? We don't. Or we think we don't at least. So Vedantins will again tell us, yes, in fact God is everywhere and we see Him also. Astibhati priyam rupam nama chetyam shapanjakam adhyatrayam brahma rupam jagad rupam tatodvayam This verse you know. At least the meaning of the verse, you know, because you've heard this a number of times, that this flower has the fi- five aspects. Asti, the flower, is. Flower, is. How do you say flower is? Because it is object of my consciousness. It is object of my knowledge. And therefore, the flower shines. So flower reveals itself. Flower reveals itself, and that is how. So flower is, reflects existence. That's why we say flower, is. And the flower reveals itself. Therefore, we say flower shines. And flower has a certain attractiveness. Because flower, at some time, in some point in time to someone, flower becomes a source of pleasure to somebody. Flower is, flower shines, flower is a source of pleasure. Then it is a name, flower, carnation, whatever, and it has a form. So this is flower has five aspects. Asti, bhati, priyam. Asti is, bhati shines. Priyam, it has attractiveness. It is a source of pleasure. It is a name and it has a form. Five aspects. And take anything in the universe, this object also is, it shines, it is a source of pleasure, it is a name, it is a form. Of these four things that are, are generally acceptable, that this thing is a name, yes. It is a form, yes. It is, yes. It shines as object of my knowledge, yes. But this one thing, that it is a source of pleasure, that is where some difficulty comes. Priyam means it is attractive. Who says it? I don't find it attractive, Swamiji. It is attractive to somebody. It is attractive to somebody. At some point, it is attracted to the one who created this. I'm sure that he must have really liked it, you know, and that's how he created it. The idea is that everything in the universe has the potential of being source of pleasure to somebody at some times given the right conditions. Given the right conditions, this can also become a source of happiness for me. This is, oh, oh this is a beautiful thing. Anyway, there's no reason why we should not like it. But if you take a simple thing, I don't know, just take this paper napkin, for example, whatever, you know. Or take this thing here, this is called a katori, even this thing also. This also, under given conditions, can become a source of happiness for me. And so that, that is really piasam there. Now, for piasam liquid, no, piasam. And so you require some receptacle, something to receive it. At that time, this thing happens to be there, 
immediately pick it up. So, whenever something becomes useful to me, then it becomes, I mean, you know, I'm happy with it. When can something give me happiness? When it can become useful to me. The idea is that everything in the creation has the potential of becoming useful to me given the right conditions. That's all. Given the right conditions. Even a rock also can be useful, a pebble also can be useful, everything can be useful. Sometimes we take pebbles, you know, to balance things. So we can, all kinds of things are used. Even a newspaper also. Sometimes you fold it up to pack, you know. When you have a, a dresser or something which is not, you know, which is not quite in level. How, how different things are useful, you know. Then the right kind of a situation has to arise, then alone we can see its usefulness. Because whatever is created in the universe must have a purpose, without that it cannot be created. And so, anyway, the idea is that everything, but everything, has the potential of being a source of happiness. For someone, at some time, under certain conditions. Or even better than that, I can say that everything has the potential of being a source of happiness, even for me, for any individual. The reason is that it has it is a source of pleasure. It has a capability of giving me happiness. What is required is a proper frame of mind on my part. That's all. All that is required is a proper frame of mind on my part. If I happen to be free from likes and dislikes, attachment and aversion, if my mind is free, I find everything is beautiful. Sometimes when you are in good mood, you just wake up in good mood or something happens and you are all, you find yourself in good mood, then oh, the, the leaves are so beautiful, flowers are so beautiful, even then you find that even a dry leaf also is beautiful. Depends on, you know, it's just a matter of being able to appreciate things. What we are saying is, if we have the right frame of mind, then we shall be able to see that beauty or usefulness or attractiveness in everything. <coughs> because it's there. And therefore, what, what differentiates one object from the other object is the name and form. What is common in both these objects is asti, bhati, priyam. Is it not? Isn't that common? So what differentiates, for example, one part from the other part is what? Its name and form and its use. What's common is the clay. So if we if we, let us say, disregard the name, form and use, usually that is what draws our attention, usually. Usually what draws my attention is its usefulness, its form, its name, that is what usually counts to us. Because we are all practical people and utilitarian people and never, only usefulness is what we are concerned about. But for the time being, if we set aside the idea of usefulness, and concern ourselves with the content of the truth of the thing, let us say. This whole idea of the utilitarian and usefulness, this kind of stuff has to be given up. Then alone we can be seekers of truth, otherwise we cannot be. When you take a piece of little gold to a scientist, and he won't ask what is the price of this. Usefulness is not important. What is the, the substance? What is the content? What is the truth of this? Similarly also, when knowledge becomes important to us, then it is not the usefulness, but it is the substance or the truth that will become important. And therefore, yes, this part has a certain name, the form and usefulness, and this other thing also has a name, form and usefulness. However, if we disregard upekshanam rupe dve, they say, all right, uh, disregard the usefulness, disregard the name, disregard the form. Oh, Swami, but he is a sinner. Disregard the form. He is a wretched fellow. Disregard the form. He is so ugly. Disregard the form. Just look at the substance. What is substance? Asti, bhati, priyam. Is it not so? Is there anything that does not reflect existence? Because it cannot exist. Is there anything that does not reflect 
awareness because you can't be aware of it otherwise. Is there anything that cannot become useful to somebody at some point in time? There is nothing. Everything has a role to play, a purpose to serve. <coughs> Everybody, moment we say that, the first question that will arise is, but Swami, what about all these injustices? You know, forget about all that. Every time only this question. Every time you talk about God and the Lord, yeah, but how about this injustice? How about this? How about, you know, pain? How about starvation? How about this? That is not the only thing in the world, there are many other things in the world, but even there also, there must be a reason for it. I may not know the reason for everything that happens in the world, I may have to admit that. Why is given thing what it is, I do not know. It is because of my limitation of my understanding, not because it doesn't have a purpose. When we look at any phenomena in a, in a, in a time span of maybe 5000 years, every phenomenon will be found to have a purpose. The historians will tell us, right now, when we look at any phenomenon from very close distance, close the distance, then we don't see its, its, its perspective in the overall picture. So everything has a purpose. Asti, Adi, Priyam, Ne, Nama, Rupa, Name and Form. In short, all we can say is just as this particular name and form called the part is nothing but a medium for the manifestation of substance called clay. And so clay manifests itself in various names and forms and similarly also Asti, Bhati, Priyam manifests itself in all these various names and forms. That's the reason why they always ask us to slowly and slowly get over with our attachments and aversions. That is what we call the subjective projection. <coughs> there is a universe which is objective reality, <coughs> but we have our own perspective on about it. And we classify things as useful, as useless, as good, as bad, as right, as wrong, as desirable, as not desirable. This is my own personal classification. If a thing was desirable, that was its objective nature, then what is called objectivity is when it can be equally perceived by everybody. This is part, that's an objective thing, everybody perceives it as a part. When I say beautiful part, now that beautiful is a matter of opinion. So what is so beautiful in this Swami? What is so beautiful? Well, this is not a particularly even a shapely part, as a matter of fact, if you examine it in detail, you will find many flaws in that. But it is one of the most beautiful. Why? Because I have made it, you know. The thing is that, suppose it happens that I have made this part. Once Lance took me there to his, uh, you know, uh, that wheel he has. Swami, uh, come on, I'll show you how to make a little part. He gave me clay and then I tried for about 45 minutes pressing it in different ways and different shapes were coming out. Finally, after a long time, I was able to come out with a part, a de reasonably decent looking part. He wanted to display the things I had made. I said, don't do that, you know. This Swami V has done this, no? If you want to place the last one, last product, I said, you can at the most display this. But how dear it is to me because I have made it. Anyway, the, the, the point is that uh, the subjective, beautiful, etc. is what? Is a, even useful, also is a, a subjective thing. Beautiful, ugly, desirable, undesirable, all of these are our personal opinions based on our own frame of mind. And as our own frame of mind changes, these opinions also change. And therefore, what I look upon as useful today, I may look upon as not useful tomorrow. That is called subjective projection, a subjective creation. <coughs> that is called likes and dislikes. The mind's natural habit of always branding things, simply based on my individual perspective, because I want to look upon, I mean, I want to see the world as being always useful to me, convenient to me, agreeable to me. If I give up that individual narrow perspective, and I'm able to look at the things for what they are, that will be called objective perception. That is where the likes and dislikes will slowly go away. So that's why we are told, let the mind become free from these attachments and aversions, projections, from subjective projections, because then alone we are objective, then alone we are able to appreciate things as they are, as created by God, and not the way I want them to be. Everybody has their own prescription of how the world should be. 
And thank God that that doesn't work, happen that way because otherwise the world cannot survive even for a moment. Because I have one prescription and you have quite an opposite prescription. And suppose God obliges everybody, it won't even last for a minute. And so, objectively when we say, then what is important is this name and form just becomes a medium for the manifestation of Asti Bhati Priyam. That's called Brahma. Asti Bhati Priyam. Is that which exists, that which shines, which is intelligent, and that which is Priyam, attractive. And you see, the reason why a given thing attracts me is not because of things. It's that thing. It is because of Brahman that is present there. A thing exists not because of itself, is because of Brahman which is there. A thing shines, becomes an object of my awareness, not because of itself, because of Brahman that is there. A thing is attractive, gives me happiness, not because of it itself, is because of Brahman that is there. And so, what separates one object or a sub- object from another object is the name and form. But what is common to both of them is asti, bhati, priyam. There is nothing in the universe that doesn't reflect asti, bhati, priyam. <coughs> that is Brahman. Asnodi, asnode, or asnodi, asnode, the aksharam. That which pervades everything. That which is the material cause. That is the very substance from which everything is made is Brahma. Aksharam Brahma Paramam. So Lord Krishna says Brahma or God is Aksharam. Immutable at the same time Aksharam, that which pervades everything. That which is the material cause. That is the very substance. And so the scientists, when they reduce any substance to its most fundamental thing, what will it be reduced to? Asti Bhati. What we call the irreducible ground is the Asti Bhati Swami, but I don't see it. You don't see it? You see it? We don't see it only because what is important is name and form is so important to us. <coughs> it's useful and it's so important to me that I fail to make note of Asti Bhati <coughs> So thus one can meditate. Upekshanam Rupedve. You disregard the name and form and usefulness of a thing. And then see the thing and you find it to be Asti Bhati Priyam. <coughs> so, Aksharam Brahma Paramam. Various ways of looking at it. This is one way of looking at this definition how Brahma is Aksharam. There are many other. This word Akshara, immutable, is used. Primarily, used in several Upanishads, but quite often in the Brahadaranika Upanishads. Used by sage Yajnavakya in his dialogues with Gargit. <coughs> there was a this though, uh, in the court of King Janaka, sage Yajnavakya has um, debates, in fact, discussions or debates with many learned people. One by one they come, and one of them is Gargit. In fact, she comes and threatens him. I'm here with two questions, which are like two arrows. Which I'm going to shoot at you and let me see if you can survive. She challenges him <coughs> and asks him questions. And then Yajnivalkya replies those questions. And in, in course of replying, Yajnivalkya makes various statements where he describes, of course, and folds Brahman with Aksharam. Etadvaita Aksharam Gargi Brahmanaha Abhivadanti. Hey Gargi, Brahmanas, the learned people, the, Brahm, the knowers of Brahman, they say Aksharam or Brahma, for the truth is what? Asthulam, Ananu, Akhraswam, Adirvam. It is that which is not gross, not subtle, not long, not short. Meaning, it is that which is devoid of any kind of qualification of attribute. <coughs> so, one way Aksharam or Brahman is explained is that which is devoid of every attribute. Vedantins like that, devoid of every attribute, devoid of name, devoid of form. And that is, you know, because only that which is devoid of name can take any name. That which is devoid of form can take any form. If clay doesn't have a form of its own, it can take any form. You can make 
objects a variety of forms. And so, at one point, several places in fact, Bhadaranya describes how Aksharam or truth or Brahman is devoid of any attribute. <coughs> Asthulam. This is called Neti, Neti, Neti. Not this. Cross? No. Subtle? No. Long? No. Short? No. No, no, no. Meaning that which comes in is, is long, that which comes as short, that which comes as gross, that which comes as subtle, that which comes as fat, that which comes as lean. Like an actor appearing in so many roles. He comes as a beggar also, as a king also, as a minister also. Hey, is he a beggar? No. Is he solo king? No. Is he solo a minister? No. What do you mean? No. Yes. He's in all of them and still himself free from any one of those characteristics. When can an actor become a beggar also and a king also and all kinds of roles, when can he take? When he himself is devoid of any of those characteristics. So also, that means when we say Brahman is all pervasive, it manifests all these names and forms and yakinch jagatyam jagat, whatever there is in the creation is Brahman. When is it possible? When it itself is devoid of any attribute, which is its glory. <coughs> And that Brahman manifests the whole universe, and there we see in the whole universe in order. That is also how Brahmadarnika Upanishad describes Brahman. Etasyavaksharasya prasasana gargi surya chandamaso vidhudau tishthataha. Say, hey gargi, who is the Rakshana? What is the Rakshanam? Who is that God? Under whose mighty rule the sun, the moon are held in their respective places. This is ancient language. And whose mighty rule, the sun and the moon, are placed in their respective places. Etasiva aksharasya prashasana gargi dhyava prasivyau prasivyau vidrute tishthataha. He gargi, under whose mighty rule, this earth and the heavens also are held in their respective places. So I mean, this is all old-fashioned stuff. We know who holds them in their place. Sankaraja explains what is the reason why the earth maintains its form. Even the earth is made up of all these particles, you know, how come the particles don't fly away that it doesn't get shattered or disintegrated? Then what keeps it in a particular form? What keeps anything in a particular form? We know that there are these bonding forces, you know, chemical forces or whatever, or gravitational forces. But the idea is that, that this thing is there because of which everything is what it is. What keeps my body intact in one, in, you know, in one piece? Or what keeps anything in one piece? There, are, there is a certain force, there is some, some, something existing there which holds everything together, which holds the whole, holds the whole universe in a harmony. Although earth is so heavy, it would have fallen down. How come it doesn't fall down? Or it would have flown away, it had been so light. How come it is in this place? How come sun? So there it is explained how the sun is placed in the respective place so that it can illumine the whole universe. It has to be that far away and it's a place right up there. Just as if you wanted to illumine your whole yard, you will, you will install a lamp at, at a great height so that it can illumine the whole yard. And so also a lamp in the form of sun is so installed that it can, it can illumine the whole universe. The moon also is so installed so that it can illumine the whole universe. The sun is a lamp that illumines the world during the day. The moon is a lamp that illumines the world during the night. All of this has some intelligence behind it. That there is an intelligence, there is an order. Under whose mighty rule, this, the time also moves as appointed. Everything is appointed and everything functions as is appointed to function. Thus, there, Aksharam or Lord or Brahman is presented as the very order which controls or regulates the whole universe. And of course, one will talk about that order. Long discussion. Hey Gargi, it is this Aksharam or Brahman in which the whole universe beginning from space is pervaded. Meaning that the one that sustains the whole universe, that pervades the whole universe is Aksharam, is immutable, is Brahman. So this is God. This is the, the concept of God that Vedanta provides us without which there cannot be anything. 
separate from which there is nothing, which is everything, at the same time, that which is free from everything, which is all attributes, at the same time, free from all the attributes. God at once is immanent, meaning it pervades everything, sustains everything, upholds everything, at the same time, it remains in its own glory, free from any kind of attribute or limitation. <coughs> that is Aksharam. Anyway, that is the subject matter of the whole Gita and the whole Vedanta. Not that we can exhaust it in, in, you know, at one point, but here, this is, this chapter is called Akshara Brahma Yoga. This eighth chapter is called Akshara Brahma Yoga. The name title is Aksharam Brahma, that's the name of the chapter, that's the reason why we explored or dwelt upon this idea of what is meant by Aksharam. <coughs> In short, Aksharam or Brahma is, is devoid of any attributes. It is that which is the mighty ruler of everything, because everything is ruled, as Upanishads explain in more than one places. When we look at the way the various elements of nature function, then we can see that they must be under somebody's rule. We find that the wind blows as, as, as determined by someone. <coughs> we find the sun also rises, sun also travels, and sun sets also in an appointed way. We find that all these elements, even though they are so mighty in their own right, wind is a very mighty power, water is a very mighty power, earth is a very mighty power, the sun and moon all are very mighty powers. And still, all of them function as though they are obedient servants. They have no freedom to, to function in a manner other than what they are, what is determined for them. And therefore, the sun rises at the appointed time and sets at the appointed time the moon also accordingly. Earth, wind, all of these elements function as regulated by someone. We may not see that regulator, we may not see that mighty ruler, but we see everything ruled and therefore we can infer also that there is a ruler who maintains an order, who rules or regulates the whole universe. So that's another way of looking upon God. So as we say, God is without all the attributes, at the same time, God is with all attributes also. <coughs> and so different ways you can meditate upon God. One way of meditating upon God is, He is a mighty ruler. And that's how the time also flows as appointed. The rivers also flow as appointed. Everything happens as appointed. That doesn't mean everything is destined. What we are saying is that we see the whole universe being regulated. And nothing seems to have the freedom to transgress that order. So that's why, not that he is a ruler, not that God is looked upon as a ruler by Vedanta, but we call him ruler. Looking at, looking at the universe, the way everything appears to be regulated. We know that in, in the house also, let's say in India, that's some, a cook also is, a cook comes and he cooks and a maid servant comes and several servants come and perform various chores in the house. When do they all function as appointed? Only when there is someone to supervise them. When the lady of the house is there, everything goes on all right. And when you visit somebody's house, you can at once see whether the lady of the house is there or not. If you find shoes lying here and clothes lying there, and all kinds of things, you know that the organizer or the, is not there. Even in the, when you go to a place of work, like you, in India you go to a bank or some place, and if you find fellows, one fellow doing this, then you know that the manager is not yet here. Moment the manager is there, everybody seems to be doing all that. Even the highway is there, you see. Everybody going at 75 miles an hour, you know that, oh, traffic patrol is nowhere around. Always if everybody slowing down in disciplined manner, driving at 55 miles an hour, then you know that somewhere the traffic patrolman must be there. Everybody has their antennas, you know, and they all the whatever, you know, the radio receivers are there, and they keep transmitting the messages, you know. Those trucks have all kinds of things with them, and so they know, and they transmit messages. And so we knew that the safest way of driving is to follow a truck. As long as those fellows are, then they know. 
If he slows down, you better slow down. You find all intelligent fellows slow down because they know. And soon enough, surely you find a patrolman someplace. Again, his limit goes, you can see the whole traffic taking off, traffic taking off, 75, 80 miles an hour. So when a ruler is there, how everything is disciplined. The idea is that when you find things functioning in a disciplined manner, then you know that there must be someone to be able to impose a discipline. You find in the universe everything functioning in a disciplined manner. In, in that sense we say that he is mighty, he's a mighty ruler. Not that he rules anybody. You can never rule anybody, really. You can rule, you can threaten them up to a certain point, but really he doesn't rule. Although his rulership is shown in India, when we go to temples, when we see different deities, we see the, the devatas having all kinds of weapons, the number of arms they have in the hands, number of weapons are there. And particularly go to this uh, temple of goddess, of any, any devi, which has number of arms, minimum eight arms, sometimes twelve, fourteen, eighteen arms, you know, okay, all kinds of weapons. What does it show? It shows a mighty ruler. So it just shows a power that, that rules everything. <coughs> it's only symbolic. Don't think that the God is sitting up there with all kinds of weapons, ready to strike. No, that's not our concept of God. In fact, our concept of God is best represented by Lord Krishna. What does he have? He is just as a flute, that's all he has. And still he rules everyone. How does he rule? Without ruling. When he produces music from his flute, and everything you can see, everything, everybody and everything in Vrindavan, there in that area, it becomes all transfixed. Everybody is totally under the spell of what? Of his love and joy. You find all the cow, this, this uh, cowherd maidens dropping whatever they are doing and rushing towards where the, where the sound is coming from. You find even cows, all of them approaching there and just standing there, all staring. All of them, as I said, transfixed. Even the birds, all animals, even the creepers, the trees, all of them, they seem to totally come under the spell and seem to be all regulated by him or ruled by him without any effort on his part to rule. So the rule of love, not the rule of a specter or something, you know. So the God, the Vedanta presents, even though the scriptures may describe the God as a mighty ruler. That is because we find things being ruled. But look at him. What kind of ruler is he? He is a ruler, you know, who rules just by his mere presence. In the ninth chapter, Lord Krishna will say, it is in my mere presence that the prakriti of the matter uh, creates and sustains and, and, and dissolves. All that is needed is the mere presence. You can't say anything. I went, Swamiji, with all kinds of... I couldn't say anything. I went to tell him something this time. But I went there, stood there. I could not say a word. There was no need on his part to do anything. It is just the imposing presence. But when we feel like that in presence of some human beings, then what to talk of this? Just nothing but that, that presence, that fullness, that totality, that love. As we say, therefore we say, without attributes, which presence itself is enough to have the whole universe going according to this order. To us it looks as though everything is ruled and therefore we call God a ruler. Looking at it from his point of view, he says, I never rule, I don't have any weapons. That's why we call him attribute, free from any attributes. Even attribute of rulership also is free from that. <coughs> And he is the one that upholds the entire universe. And as we will be told subsequently, he is the one that even manifests as the very self. That's what Lord Krishna says in the next sen sentence. Aksharam Brahma Paramam. Brahman is Aksharam, immutable. Paramam, limitless. We said, is Paramam. We explained that word yesterday or discussed it yesterday. Paramam, Deshakala. Vastu Paricheda, Shunyam is called Paramam. That which is devoid of any kind of a limitation, limitation of space, limitation of time, 
or limitation of attributes. One that does not suffer from any limitation is called Paramam. And that is possible only when it is in all the attributes. So that which is devoid of the limitation of space must be the one that is in all the space at the same time that is there without the space also. That which is not limited by a limitation of time that can only be so when it obtains at all the times at the same time obtains where the time is not. When we say it is not limited by any attributes that means that it is there where all attributes are there at the same time that is, is there where there is no attribute also. So who is, what, what is, who is God? The one that is there at all the times, in all the times, in all the places, in all the attributes and there simultaneously where there is no time, where there is no place, where there is no attribute <coughs> also. That is called Aksharam. And so just the two meanings of the word Aksharam. How grammar helps us. Naksharati iti Aksharam. So that which does not decline, which does not perish, is Aksharam, imperishable. That means that which is devoid of all the attributes, because anything possessed of attributes is always subject to change. When we say Brahman is immutable or imperishable, that means that it is devoid of any attributes. At the same time, Ashnute iti Aksharam, that which pervades everything is also called Aksharam. That means it is the material cause, it is immanent, it is both immanent as well as the one that is devoid of any attributes. <coughs> that is Paramam Aksharam Brahman. This very same Brahman has many expressions. So Lord Krishna said that the wise person knows Brahman in his entirety. What is meant by knowing Brahman or God in his entirety? Knowing God as such, as, as we said, devoid of all the attributes, devoid of any limitation. At the same time, he manifests as various things in the universe. So God is to be known that way also. Not only do we know God that, trans that is transcendental, but we must know God that is immanent also. We must know everything as God. It's not only enough that I know God when I withdraw my mind and I mean, you know, whatever. And I am only close my eyes, that is only when I see God. But I must be able to appreciate God when my eyes are open also. That's what Vedantins like. There's no objection to people closing their eyes, that's fine. But if I can see God only when my eyes are closed, and when I am uh, disconnected or I am, I am away from any kind of an interaction, and then I see God, that's okay. But that's not enough. When my eyes are open, when I am interacting with the world, then do I see God or not? Then also God has to be seen. And to be able to appreciate, to appreciate God, we have to know what are the various ways in which God expresses in our life, in this universe. And this is what Lord Krishna proceeds to say further. Aksharam Brahma Paramam Swabhava Dhyatma Vachyade The next one. Swabhava So Arjuna's question was Kim Tad Brahma Oh Lord, what is that Brahman? Kim Tad Brahma Kim Adhyatmam What is Adhyatmam? So we said in all these words the first word is Adhi which shows the location. Adhyatmam Adhivutam Adhidaivam Adhiyajnyam Adhi means center upon. Atma, Adhyatmam, center upon Atma, center upon the Self. What is, how does Brahman express as centered upon the Self? Or how does Brahman express with reference to myself? How does Brahman express with reference to the elements? How does Brahman express with reference to the divine force or God? How does Brahman express with reference to Yajna? These four things Arjuna wanted to know. So Lord Krishna explains how does Brahman express this way? How does Brahman express with as related to myself? Swabhavaha Adhyatma Vachyade Swabhavaha Bhava Swabhavaha Swabhavaha So, 
One so bhava means nature. Bhava means being or bhava means nature. Swa, swa means oneself. Swa can mean oneself, it can also mean one's own. Swabhava, one's own nature, one's own being. But one's own nature is not separate from oneself and therefore Swabhavaha means what? Oneself, myself. Swabhavaha, Adhyatma Muchyate. What is the expression or manifestation of Brahman with reference to myself? Lord Krishna says, hey, Brahman, that God, the limitless, manifests as Swabhava, as your own Bhava, as your own very nature, as your own being. You are Brahman. So Shankaraja explains how. So how do you say I am Brahman? When we make an inquiry into what is the nature of I, that is when we realize, as we said yesterday, lots of things we have simply taken for granted in our life, is it not? Who am I? I just taken for granted. And then they ask me, right away, Swami, give a biodata. I immediately rattle out my biodata. Who am I? Swami so and so, born in such and such place, had such and such education, did such and such thing. That's all. That's all I am. This is simply taken for granted. I never stopped to think whether the kind of description that I am giving about myself or the kind of the conclusions I have about myself, whether they have the scrutiny of reasoning or not. I never stop to think. You see, when can I say that this flower is pink? Is this pink color? When can I say this flower is pink? Take it to be pink color if it's different then also. When flower and pinkness are in one place, then we can say flower is pink. Can I say that the flower is yellow? Even though there is a yellow substance in my hand and the flower also in my hand, shall we say that flower is yellow? We do not say that because yellow is in one location, flower is in another location. For us to say that flower is pink, the flower and pink must be in the same locus, is it not? When can we say that honey is sweet? When honey and sweetness, both of them happen in one locus. This mango is sour. When mango and sourness, both of them obtain in one locus. And when I can see both of them together, mango is also there, sourness also is there. Flower also is there, pinkness also is there. The, tower, the, the napkin is also there and yellow also is there. Then we can say that the napkin is yellow, the flower is pink, the honey is sweet. Simple, isn't it? Similarly for me to say that I am a man or I am a little, I am a limited being, I am a small, Swami, I am a small person. Alright. When can I say that? When I and smallness, both of them are seen in one locus, is it not? This is a very simple thing, fundamental thing. For me to say that I am small, I am limited, I am a human being, I am so and so, whatever, then I must have seen I and small or I and human being, I and Swami, both of them in one locus, then only I can say that I am a man or I am a human being. But have I seen them in one locus? Have I ever seen that I, along with smallness? Have I ever seen that I, along with man? Ever seen I, along with whatever I take I to be? Have I ever seen them together? I proclaim I am a man. I proclaim. We were saying yesterday. But this man, this human being, this tall, short, handsome, ugly, whatever. These are the attributes of what? Attributes of body. Is it not? What do I say? I am a human being. 
But human being is the attribute of the body. And who is I? I is a subject, is it not? So, this body, is it subject or object? When I say I know, is it the I, is the body that knows or someone else who knows? The body is not a subject, is not a knower. Body is the object of my knowledge. And who am I? I am the subject of the knowing, the body that is known. So I am the subject, body is the object. I am the seer, body is seen. I am the knower, body is known. Do I ever say I am the, t- do I ever say I am, I am, I am the table? I am a clock? I am this fan? Do I ever say that? I never said. Why? Because I am very clear that the clock is object, I the subject. The book, object, I the subject. Therefore, I never lump them together. The distinction between the object and subject is quite clear to me. But when it comes to this body, this body, I have no problem with those bodies. That I am not, I am quite clear. Somehow when it comes to this body, then somehow the rules of game seem to change. And even though this body also is equally an object of my awareness, but somehow I call it as I. As we have been saying earlier also, that every now and then I do identify this body as my body. Every now and then, every so often. As I say, when I go to doctor, I say, Doctor, what has happened to my stomach? What has happened to my head? What happened, you know? And so, that time, there is that clarity on my part, that stomach I am not, head I am not, this hand I am not, the body I am not. And that is why I identify the body as my body. And we know that what is mine is not I, when I use this pronoun, I mean this, this word my, there is a relationship between myself and body as a possessor and that which is possessed. So there are times when I am fairly clear that this body I am not. But next moment, when doctor then takes an injection, you know, <laughs> says, no, 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 don't do anything to me. Yeah, I am not doing anything to you, I am doing it in the body. No, don't do anything to me. Right away I identify with the body. I call the body as I. We lump this together. What are the things lumped together? The object and subject are lumped together. This is a feat that only we can perform. This is called a miracle. This is called doing impossible. Aghatana ghatana. That is not possible. Subject is ever subject. Object is ever an object. Subject can never be objectified. Object can never be subject. And still, what we are managing to do is, we are managing to lump together. The I, which is subject, and the body that is the object. When I proclaim, I am a woman or I am a man, this is what I do. Have I ever seen that I and man together? To say that I is man, have I ever seen them in the same location? I haven't. Because they can never be in one location. The subject and object must be apart, otherwise I cannot objectify something. The object of my knowledge always is separate from me. And still we are lumping together. That's why here Shankaracharya says that when we really stop to inquire into what is the nature of that I, then it turns out to be Brahman. If I, for the moment, leave aside all my accepted notions about myself, and when I can become objective about myself, and then when we probe into what is the reality about myself, it will turn out to be Brahman. That is how Lord Krishna says, Svabha Adhyatma Muchare. Svabha, one's own nature, one's own being, alone is the Adhyatman, alone is the expression of Brahman as centered upon the self. How that is so, we'll continue in the evening at 5 o'clock. <coughs> Om Purnamadav Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashashyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashakrutau Vande Bhagavantau Punaf Punaha Ishvaro Gururatmedi 
मूर्ति भेद विभागिने व्योमेहाय दक्षिणामूर्त नम ओ शाति 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 हरि ओ श्री गुरुभ्यो नम हरि ओ